We are continuing our study together of the things we confess in the summary of the Bible's teaching in the Belgic Confession. These are the things we believe from the heart. These are things we have learned from the Bible. And uh, this afternoon, we come to Article 23. We're going to read Scripture first. This is our foundation. We teach from out of the Word of God. But Article 23 summarizes the Bible's teaching for us on what we call the heart of the gospel, the foundation to which we always cling and to which we always return, the teaching of justification by faith alone, how it is that a Christian becomes a Christian, how it is that we may know that we are right with God. And in that connection, we're going to be reading from the Bible, from Paul's words in 2 Corinthians, his second letter to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in the Pew Bibles, page 1329. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, page 13, 1329. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 9. This is the Word of God. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he who died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ 
as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I urge you to keep your Bibles open here to 2 Corinthians 5 if you are able. And then to turn with me also to the summary of the Bible's teaching we have in our confession, what we confess from the Bible in Belgian Confession, Article 23. In the uh, Forms and Prayers books, if you have them, page 177. And if not, in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal, page 863. And there you see the title, which as I mentioned is a teaching that is at the very heart of the gospel, the very heart of what it is to be a Christian, the things we need to know, the justification of sinners. We believe that our blessedness lies in the forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus Christ, and that, it, that in it our righteousness before God is contained, as David and Paul teach us. When they declare that man blessed to whom God grants righteousness apart from works. And the same apostle says that we are justified freely or by grace through redemption in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we cling to this foundation, which is firm forever, giving all glory to God, humbling ourselves and recognizing ourselves as we are, not claiming a thing for ourselves or our merits, and leaning and resting only on the obedience of Christ crucified, which is ours when we believe in Him. That is enough to cover all our sins and to make us confident, freeing the conscience from the fear, dread, and terror of God's approach without doing what our first father Adam did who trembled as he tried to cover himself with fig leaves. In fact, if we had to appear before God relying no matter how little on ourselves or some other creature, then alas, we would be swallowed up. Therefore, everyone must say with David, Lord, do not enter into judgment with your servants for before you no living person shall be justified. And that is a reference I made allusion to where we sang together from Psalm 143, 143 verse 2. If you turn the page, you'll see a few of the scripture references that the article is um, referring us to in this foundational teaching. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, It's important that we ask ourselves from time to time. It's helpful that others challenge us with questions like this. Do you know where you stand with God? Do you know that 
your life is hid with Christ in God? Do you know that you have hope for eternal life? Do you have confidence in your life that were you to die tonight, you would be able to stand before God, your maker, as your redeemer, as your savior? Do you know that you'd be able to Stand before him in the confidence that he receives you eagerly and graciously and lovingly. Do you know that you'd be able to stand before God in the confidence that you will be with God forever, for eternity? How do you answer those questions? Yes? Strong yes? Tentative yes? Maybe? No? The teaching of the Word of God and the good news that we are focusing on together from out of God's Word is that we can know this blessing. We can have this confidence. We can know that we have eternal life. We can know that God is pleased with us. We can know that we are in a right relationship with God. That should we die, there'd be nothing at all to fear because He will receive us in grace. Now, do you know that blessing? Again, that's the challenge. And we're here to declare that that is a blessing that should be known and should be talked about. When we know that blessing, because we know that blessing, perhaps another question could be asked of those of us who know the sweet grace of God. Do you have the same kind of passion, the same kind of urgency that we have felt in what we've read from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The kind of urgency that says, I know the terror of God and therefore I persuade men. I want others to know this blessing. Do we have that kind of urgency in our lives because of the blessing we have come to know that we could say with the Apostle Paul that it is as though God is pleading through us, we implore you, be reconciled to God. And what we get to focus on together this afternoon is the blessing that we can be reconciled to God. We can know that we are in a right relationship with God. We can know that He loves us and we love Him. We can know that there is nothing standing between us and Him. We are reconciled to God. We believe, as we say in the article that is before us, our blessedness lies in the forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus Christ and that in it, Our righteousness before God is contained. 
And we also understand from what we have seen here, this blessing of being forgiven, this blessing of, of, of being declared righteous before God, having all of Jesus' perfect accomplishments and merits declared to be ours, is a blessing that is ours when we believe in Him, in Jesus Christ. That's at the heart of the Christian gospel. That is the very thing that everybody needs to know. I hope you know that. And if you don't know that, I pray that uh, what we see here in the Word of God this afternoon will be a blessing to you so that you may know that as well. And when we know that, because we know that, may God also bless us with the kind of urgency and passion we have seen in the Apostle Paul. So I preach to you the Word of God this afternoon, our righteousness before God. That's where, that's where we may stand confidently. I'm right with God. It's okay. I'm confident God loves me and things are okay between me and Him. Reconciled. And that blessing is ours when we believe in Christ. There are four things we're going to be working through. First, the desperate requirement. Secondly, the declared reality. Thirdly, the delightful result. And fourthly, the demanded response. The desperate requirement. Maybe you didn't know you need to know this blessing. Maybe you didn't know that you need to be able to be confident that everything is right between me and God, that I have a right standing before God and that I can boldly approach Him knowing He receives me in love. Maybe you didn't know that. It's helpful as we think about these things to begin where Paul begins. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. He says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You understand what Paul is saying there. You understand there are no exceptions to what he has to say to us there. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must stand before the Lord Jesus Christ as our judge. And everything we've ever done in the body, whether good or bad, is going to come under judgment. Jesus is the righteous judge. And let no one think, well, that doesn't apply to me. We must all, Paul says. There are no loopholes. There's no getting around this reality. Now, the problem for most of us, let's be honest with ourselves, is that on first hearing of things like we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, our initial reaction would usually be something like, ooh, okay, I hadn't thought about that, but thanks for letting me know, and I'll, 
I'll try harder. I'll do better. You know, I, I've done some dumb things. I have done some evil things. I've done some wicked things. But I try to do some good things too. And I'm going to do better. But when we speak that way, we need to appreciate we're not actually being honest with ourselves. And we're not taking into account the glory, the majesty, the beauty, the perfection, the holiness of majestic, holy God. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in verse 11, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, let me quickly say, Paul is not engaging in scare tactics here, neither am I when we speak of the terror of the Lord. I want us to try to understand and appreciate what, what he's getting at here when he speaks of the terror of the Lord. Uh, when we hear these words, we're probably inclined to think, well, that's a bad thing. Maybe, maybe we know little children that we sometimes describe as little terrors. And when we say that, that's not a good thing. Maybe we know some young people who are a terror. Or maybe we think of some dictators in the world today or in the annals of history who were terrors. When we speak of the terror of the Lord, we're not speaking of something that is morally wrong or reprehensible. We're speaking of the God of glory who is absolutely perfect and righteous in all of his ways. And therefore, when we speak of the terror of the Lord, the, the sense of awe and terror that we have is not owing to anything wrong in him, like an evil dictator. These are not scare tactics in that way. But we're speaking of the realization of the wrong in us. And it's because of our sin. It's because of our brokenness. It's because of our rebellion before God that we, that we may and we must speak of the terror of the Lord and the reality of His righteous judgment. And so, in the language of our summary from the Bible, we are urged not to be like Adam. And so you remember, boys and girls, what Adam did. You can read of that in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and didn't listen to God. And then where it used to be that they could live in sweet 
fellowship and communion with God, now they are trembling and they're running from God and hiding from God. We don't want to do, we're told here, what our first father Adam did, who trembled as he tried to cover himself with fig leaves. We don't want to do that. But we do that all the time. Because our inclination is to do exactly that. He, he tried to cover himself. So as to say, I'll fix this. I'll make it right. I'll patch it up. I'll earn my way with God. And yet he fled from God because he knew better. That's a response I think every one of us understands. It's probably the first response of every one of our hearts. I can do this. I'll fix it. I'll I'll clean things up. Or maybe we could say it is what you might call a diversionary tactic. This is an effort on Adam's part to divert the eyes of God. I, I know God is holy and majestic, but uh, I'll, just, I'll just cover things up with these fig leaves and then perhaps God won't see. And then perhaps I won't have to think about it. I won't have to deal with it. I can stay at a distance from God. I think every one of us also knows the reality of diversionary tactics. That is, things that we do to get away from thinking about God. You know, there are the the basic things like alcohol and drugs. There is illicit sex and all of those things. But there are are things that we can devote ourselves to in terms of, of thinking we can accomplish things, we can do it ourselves, and then we have the idea, uh, I can stay at a distance from God. The terror of the Lord. But remember what I said. When we speak of the terror of the Lord, there's no, there's no problem with God. There's no problem in God. There's nothing wrong with God. The problem is us. God is good. God is gracious. God delights in mercy. And that's why the Apostle Paul, quickly after speaking about the terror of the Lord and needing to persuade men, speaks of why he wants to do that. He says, because, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, the love of Christ compels me. We have a loving God. There's good news. There's hope. There is the hope of reconciliation with God. And Paul says, the love of Christ compels me. Now, was Paul speaking about the fact that Jesus has loved him so much that he cannot help but wanting to speak to others about that? Was Paul speaking of the fact that now he loves Jesus so much that he wants to speak of that love to others? And again, I would say you could read it both ways and perhaps you should. 
I love him because he first loved me. And because I know his love to me, and because I want to respond in love to him, I want others to know this blessing. The love of Christ compels me. I want to persuade men. I want others to know this blessing. We can be reconciled to God through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Article 23 picks up on the words of Psalm 143 and says, We should should say with David these words, the last words of this article, Lord, do not enter into judgment with your servants. For before you no living person shall be justified. We deserve judgment. But God is gracious. And this is the message of reconciliation that has been given to us. Our second consideration this afternoon is what we speak of as a declared reality. God declares us in Christ to be right with Him. It's a matter of what God says about us. You don't need to be concerned about what other people say about you when you know what God says about you in Jesus Christ. We speak of the blessing that God declares we are His. Again, I'm just going to read through the the summary that's in the first part of Article 23. We believe that our blessedness lies in the forgiveness of our sins. We can be forgiven because of Jesus Christ, and that in it, our righteousness before God is contained. As David and Paul teach us, when they declare, that man blessed, to whom God grants righteousness apart from works. You see, this is what God does. The reference here to David and Paul is to Psalm 32 that we've sung, And Paul's use of those words in Romans chapter 4. In Psalm 32, David says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. That is to say, iniquity means our sin. And we're blessed when we know that God doesn't put the guilt for our sins on our shoulders. That's where it belongs. That's what we deserve. But what God does As you put together the teaching of Psalm 32 and Paul's use of it in Romans 4, is he takes our sin and he puts it to Jesus' account. He puts our sin on Jesus' shoulders. And Jesus takes our sin to the cross. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, to be the sin offering for us in our place that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So Romans 4 verse 6 says in that regard, the blessing is now that God, He imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is a glorious, glorious blessing. We call that the great exchange. Jesus gets our sin, we get 
Jesus' righteousness. So the blessing that is said to be ours, declared to be ours, is a blessing that is for sinners who believe in Jesus Christ. So we speak about forgiveness. We speak about our righteousness. It's not our accomplishments. It's what Jesus did for us. It's, we speak of Jesus' obedience. We lean and we rest on the obedience of Jesus, Him crucified, which is ours when we believe. So this is what God declares. He says, you are as righteous in my eyes as Jesus Christ has been for you in your place. I see you as though you have been as perfectly obedient as Jesus was for you. And with regard to the guilt of your sin, it's gone. It's taken away because I see, I declare about you that Jesus Christ has taken that away. The blessing is found in the cross. God declares it. That's important for us to appreciate. It is a matter of what God says about those who put their trust in Jesus. It's not about what God sees in us. It's not about God looking around and saying, I see a little good in that one and I see a little good in that one. No, that's not the point. There is none who is righteous. No, not one. But God says, all those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are right with me. I declare it to be so. So, Jesus, who knew no sin, is made to be the sin offering for us. Our sin is put to his account, imputed to him. Language from Psalm 32 and Romans 4. And everything Jesus has done is put to our account, imputed to us. And we are, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the righteousness of God in him. He loves us as much as he loves his dear son. We are as right with him as anyone ever could be because it's Jesus' righteousness upon which we depend. So then we see in the third place the delightful result. What does this mean? What does this mean for us? It means everything is different. It means our, our lives are, are changed. It, it means we recognize all glory goes to God. We didn't save ourselves. We didn't earn our salvation. Our confession puts it this way, giving all glory to God humbling ourselves, recognizing ourselves as we are, not claiming a thing for ourselves or our merits, leaning and resting. What a blessing to be able to say, I just lean on Jesus Christ. I rest in what He has done. I've been so restless. 
I've been so troubled with the turmoil of my own soul. And we live in the midst of a world that is so broken, so angry, so at odds with, with so many things. And we say there is hope. There is the blessing of reconciliation. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation. The blessing is we've been given confidence. It's not self-confidence. It's not, hey, Lord, look at me, look what I've done. No, nothing of that. But a confidence in Jesus Christ and what he has done. It frees our conscience, as we read here, from fear and dread and the terror of God's approach. We don't have to fear God. He delights in mercy. And, and when we sin, we know we can, we can go to God and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Do not enter into judgment with your servant. And he delights in mercy. God is gracious. We are, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, new creation. All things have been made new. There is a new life and there's a new vitality. There's a new joy in us because of what God has done in Christ. And also, as we've seen in Paul, there is a new urgency. Don't you want to persuade men? Don't you want others to know this blessing? Don't you appreciate that God has committed to us a ministry of reconciliation? We have a word for the world of broken, frustrated, rebellious Humanity, a world from which we have come. And the word is this. We implore you, be reconciled to God. Paul says, it is as though God is pleading through us. And and effectively, that's exactly what happens. We have that in the preaching of the word. And we have that when we open our mouth and speak the gospel. God is imploring through us. God is speaking through the gospel message that is going forward. And so by God's grace, we have an urgency to see that message proclaimed and received. Be reconciled to God. There can be forgiveness You can be in a right relationship with God. You can have hope for eternity. You may know of yourself through faith in Jesus. We are the righteousness of God in Him. Practical results of this are are many as well. As I've alluded already, we don't have to really care about what other people think about us because we know what God says about us. And and we can be patient and gracious with each other. We can be those who are able to give and to take criticism because we know what God says about us. We know where we stand with God. We know we're forgiven. We know we have eternal life. We know it's going to be okay. 
And so we can speak the truth in love and with passion and urgency. These are the blessings that are ours in Christ. Delightful. But then finally, the demanded response. We need to ask ourselves, do we, do we know this blessedness that is talked about here? This blessedness in knowing we are forgiven. We are right with God. We have the righteousness of Christ. It's all declared to be ours. Do you know that blessing? And it really comes down to this. You may ask yourself, how can I know that blessing? I need to know that blessing. And I would say to everyone who is here, everyone who is listening, you need to know this blessing. Don't don't rest content until you're able to say, I know this blessedness. I am forgiven in Christ. The righteousness of Christ is mine. The perfect obedience of Jesus Christ, it's mine. What does it say? It's ours when we believe in Him. It's granted to us as a gift from God when we believe. It's not anything we do. It's everything Jesus has done. It's not running on the treadmill of of religious performance to try to impress God. No, none of that is required. None of that would help. Perhaps you've seen that. But it's resting. Leaning and resting. Those are beautiful words. Leaning and resting only on the obedience of Christ crucified. We're trusting in Him. We, We cling to this foundation and we come back to this again and again right we fall short we mess up but we may cling to this foundation we may come to this God our Father in Jesus Christ and know the blessing of forgiveness and know that he declares about us you are right with me you have peace with me everything is going to be okay we can evaluate our understanding of this basic basic Christian blessing by thinking about the way we might approach to God. If there is a sense in which we come to God and say, God, you know, I've tried my best. I work pretty hard, and I hope it's enough. We haven't understood. If we come... On the other hand, in the language of David in Psalm 143, verse 2, the end of this article, Lord, do not enter into judgment with your servants, for before you no living person shall be justified. Then we're getting it. 
We may think of the, the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. His words also should be our words. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's it. That's the response required. That's the way to blessing. This blessedness that we're talking about, this confidence, this boldness before God to know my sins are forgiven. I don't have to be terrorized anymore by the guilt of my sin. I can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. And God delights in that blessing. This is what we proclaim. And so we urge you and every one of us who knows this blessing wants to urge the world, be, be reconciled to God. It's a blessing that's found in Jesus, the one who has made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a good, gracious, faithful, glorious God you are. Lord, we confess that in and of ourselves, because of our sin, we might be inclined to keep our distance from you. And where we have done that, we ask, Lord, have mercy. And help us to appreciate that you are a God who delights in mercy. And grant that we may be strong in faith, confident not of ourselves, confident in you confident in what Jesus Christ has done, leaning and resting in everything Jesus Christ has done for us. We thank you that, as we do, we may have peace of conscience, we may have hope for eternity, we may have a desire speak of your glorious grace to those around us. And we pray that you'll bless us to be a blessing in this way. We thank you, O oh God, for every blessing we have come to know in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.